I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. In January of 1969, the owners of Meyer and Frank department stores in Portland had a problem. Business at their legendary department store, located smack in the middle of downtown Portland, was starting to slow down, even as the sales galloped ahead at their Lloyd Center store. They were pretty sure they knew what was holding the downtown location back. Parking. Fortunately, a solution was right at hand. All they needed to do was destroy the grimy, low-slung, double-deck parking lot next to their store and replace it with a more modern facility, one eight or ten stories tall, with space for about a hundred cars per floor. Of course, there was the hassle of getting permits to be gone through before they could get construction started. But Meyer and Frank anticipated no trouble there. The Portland city government had always been very friendly to the needs of businesses, although it was true that just recently a certain hippie spirit had started making inroads there. That new spirit, which the old Chamber of Commerce warhorses had little patience for, had been brewing for a while. During the city's passionate embrace of urban renewal early in the 60s, there had been no sign of it. But although in most ways it followed the mid-century Robert Moses playbook, raising several of Portland's more colorful ethnic neighborhoods and handing the resulting bare land over to developers, the Portland Development Commission had decided to spend some of its resources getting the aesthetics of the new cityscape right. They'd set aside pieces of land as public spaces and hired legendary landscape architect Lawrence Halperin to design them. Residents of Portland really liked what they'd seen of Halperin's work so far. Lovejoy Fountain and Pettigrove Park had been opened in 1966 to universal acclaim, and there was a growing sense among a certain set of Portlanders that this was what a modern city should be, that their city's most prime bits of real estate should be used as public spaces rather than quote-unquote bomb-crater parking structures. Well, as a bomb-crater parking structure, the old Meyer and Frank parking lot was like Exhibit A, and it occupied probably the most desirable piece of real estate in all of Portland. So the company's planners probably figured they'd have solid support for their plan to replace it with a taller, more architecturally interesting parking garage. They were, as it turned out, mistaken. In January 1970, the Portland Development Commission took an action that shocked the more conservative members of the business community. It told Myron Frank, no. And then it followed up by asking if the store might be willing to sell the property instead so that it might be made into a huge public space, the centerpiece of them all. Pioneer Courthouse Square. The Meyer and Frank execs were game on one condition. They'd wanted to build the parking garage to solve a serious parking problem. If the city could solve that problem for them, for as much or less than it would have cost the company to build a new parking lot, well, fine. It took most of the 1970s to work out the details, but eventually this was done. Meanwhile, however, prominent members of the Portland business community were starting to have second thoughts about the whole public spaces thing. The problem was, as they saw it, parks and fountains were, quote, attracting hippies. 
Author Randy Gregg recounts a Portland City Council meeting called to discuss a curfew at the park, at which one of the commissioners, quote, lashed out at what he called sex bums, punks, pushers, and rabble-rousers who have gravely offended the sensibilities of this city and its responsible inhabitants. And a local pastor presented a petition signed by 5,000 residents titled, quote, A Petition to Discourage the Influx of Hippies to Our City. It was with these fault lines already widening that the city set to work designing what would soon become Pioneer Courthouse Square. One side, the side on which the, quote, hippies would find themselves, wanted an open, accessible public space there. The other, represented with great vigor and articulateness by city councillor and later mayor Frank Ivancy, wanted a giant atrium, access to which could be controlled and possibly even charged for, to keep transients, hippies, communist agitators, sex bums, and other non-conforming people out. The backers of open space won this fight, obviously. But the way they did so was as audacious as it was clever. In 1980, following nine years of planning and wrangling, the Portland Development Commission launched an international design competition. A total of 162 entries came in, and Portland residents got to evaluate each in turn. In the end, the winner was a local team led by Willard Martin and featuring landscape architect J. Douglas Macy, historian Terence O'Donnell, writer Spencer Gill, photographer Robert Reynolds, and sculptor Lee Kelly. When this was announced, the giant atrium faction, still led by Ivancy, who was now the mayor, was very unhappy. They attempted through parliamentary processes at City Hall to reset the whole thing and have another shot at the atrium, but they quickly realized they were stuck. The design competition had tapped thousands of Portlanders, each of whom spent many hours helping arrive at a design that almost all of them liked. The suggestion that a few power brokers at City Hall might simply override their choice by fiat did not go over well. So the open space quote-unquote hippies got their design approved. But could they pay for it? Almost all of the big-money donors were on Ivan C's side, and acutely aware that they'd been outplayed, they were not feeling generous. And that is when Mayor Ivancy accidentally came to the rescue. In what was widely interpreted as a declaration of victory, he declared the Pioneer Courthouse Square project dead. His words galvanized the square's backers. Furious with Ivancy and determined to prove him wrong, they came together, got organized, and brainstormed. And along the line, somebody came up with the idea of selling engraved bricks. A common fundraising technique today, but at the time pretty innovative. The idea was to cover the square with the names of thousands of Portlanders, each of whom had kicked down $15, a thousandth of 1% of the $1.5 million that they needed to build the square. Quote, If you could prove that the people of Portland really were behind this idea, and really wanted it, the big gifts would come, Friends of Pioneer Square director Molly O'Reilly told videographers Greg Cantor and Ernie Bonner. That's the way the thinking went. It worked. Three years later... On April 6, 1984, Pioneer Courthouse Square opened to the public. This article was first published on May 18th of 2014. Key sources included works by Greg Cantor, Ernie Bonner, Randy Gregg, and KGW News 8. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. 
Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatorgan.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶